If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Before we get started today, I want to remind you that if you want more out of your life, there is another way. Now, you might be lacking momentum in your business. Maybe you don't have a supportive environment. Maybe you're tired of not living a fulfilling life by living through your gifts, but doing something that just kind of pays the bills. It doesn't matter. All of those are common things that I hear, and I'm here to help. All you have to do is jump on a call with somebody from my team at rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call. We're here to help you rock your money, become financially literate, understand how to win the money game, and then you'll be able to rock your life. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead, rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call. And let's get started transforming your life today. In this session, you're going to hang out with a coach. And in fact, Coach Bert believes that everybody needs a coach in life. And he's got a fascinating story where he coached from the age of 15 straight through to 31 basketball at different levels, did incredibly well, uh, 74% winning in his career, and really learned a lot about how to activate people and what he calls the whole person theory. And it comes from his study of Stephen Covey, one of the greatest books of all time, The Seven Habits of a Highly Effective People. One of my favorite books, in fact, so we're going to get a deep dive on somebody who's a huge student of Stephen Covey and his insights, and then how he took that and brought it into the business world and has coached many, many business people to become very successful through the same whole person theory. Believe it or not, he has written 16 books. So certainly within there, there's going to be some books that you're going to want to take a look at. And I'm super, super jazzed to bring on Coach Bert. So let's jump into the podcast and listen to the wisdom that Coach Bert is going to share with us. Welcome to the podcast, Coach Bert. I'm really, really thrilled to have you here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, man. I'm, I'm honored and uh, congratulations on all the big things that you've done in the world. It inspires me. Thank you so much. You know, we're, we're trying to give people the tools and strategies so that they can be the best version of themselves, of which... I think you've made that your life's work and you're a big believer that everybody should have a coach. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about how you came to that conclusion and what your experience is and the experience you had coaching basketball, uh, you know, in your formative years. So let's talk a little bit about your background. Yeah, I was raised by a single mom who had me when she was 16 years old and she was working two jobs to, to kind of make it work. So when I was six years old, uh, really five and six years old, she used to take me down to a local baseball field where I would stay for hours and hours while she was working her second job. And there was one woman down there is a woman coach coaching uh, little league baseball, which was really unusual. And that woman tended to me, cared for me, fed me, taught me the game. And she said to me at six years old, son, one of these days, you're going to be a great coach. And I began to hear this early, all of my formative years, my high school basketball coach called me professor. He said, the way you think, the way you direct, the way you coach. So at 15, uh, I got asked to coach a junior pro basketball team. 
And thank goodness I said yes. Uh, the guy said, I don't know anything about basketball. They've asked me to coach. Will you help me coach this team? And I went down there, and I, I like to joke and say I dressed up in a suit, and I looked like a little Pat Riley coaching junior pro basketball. And the minute I started coaching, I, I was immediately turned on to coaching people. And, and so for the next 15 to 31, all I would do would be as ba a basketball coach, first as a boys basketball coach. Then I became the youngest head coach in the state of Tennessee at the second largest high school. And I moved to coaching girls basketball. And it took me about 10 years, uh, Rock, but I rebuilt a culture that had never won in 30 years. And we turned that into a national powerhouse. And that school would go on to win seven of nine championships. And, um, and that's really was all, a lot of my formal training from 20 to 30 years old. Uh, at being a basketball coach. Well, that's fascinating because one of the dreams that never came to be yet for me was to coach some high level team. So let's unpack this a little bit because I'm a big fan of Pat, Pat Riley, I think it is. Yep. And also John Wooden, who talks about the 1% rule. Yep. Tell us some of the things that you did. And I know you talk about, you know, coaching the whole person, all the aspects of the individual. What do you think were some of the keys to you getting each individual to produce at a high level? Yeah, when I was 18 years old, I went to a coaching clinic that was free by a guy named um, Don Meyer. Don Meyer actually won more games than John Wooden. He was a small wow. NAIA coach in Nashville, Tennessee at a Christian college named David Lipscomb University. And Don Meyer would, would have free coaching clinics where six to 800 coaches would come and study under him and learn under him. And so at 18 years old, I was an elementary basketball coach while I was going to college. And Don Meyer, who I respected immensely as a mentor, said, if you don't read another book this year, read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And while you're there, pick up a copy of First Things First. I had never been exposed to personal development. I, I went to a small rural high school um, so we didn't talk about personal development and reading and things like that. And so I went to the bookstore and I picked up a copy of the seven habits and I didn't understand it. You know, I was 18 years old. That's a deep book to understand. Mm -hmm. I, I, I joke and say, I thought a paradigm was a paradigma. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just reading this book and, and in that book, Covey, Dr. Covey introduces the whole person theory. And he says, people are made up of four parts, a body, a mind, a heart, and a spirit. Each of those parts produce different needs, different intelligences, different capacities, different dimensions. And I began to think, okay, I'm going to really learn this. I'm going to dig into this philosophy of the whole person because we can't really have a conversation about potential if we don't talk about the whole person. You can't really actualize your potential if you're, if you're not reaching your potential in the body, in the mind, in the heart, in the spirit. You're out of, you're out of alignment in one part of your nature. So I began teaching my players, the seven habits of highly effective people. And I begin using the whole person theory to activate the whole person. That when, so how did I do that? I was growing their knowledge. I was growing their skill. I was growing their desire. I was growing their confidence. And before long, we begin to build what I call the competitive intelligence. My players were simply smarter than other people's players. They were more connected than other people's players. They, they had more unity. They bought into me more. Well, that produces winning. And the more we begin to win, the more people begin to ask me, what are you doing with these kids? And because of that, so many people were asking, I said, I don't have time to explain it. And I'm just going to write it in books. So I, that literally started me writing one of 16 books. And I began just writing books about this is what I'm doing. This is how you build this competitive intelligence. And that's really what started my speaking career is people would call me to say, will you come speak to my team? 
or we come speak at my company. And one became two and three became four. And then it became uh, a business, really an unintentional business. And it became a lot more lucrative, obviously, than my high school coaching. <laughs> so at some point, I'm like, all right, man, I, I love these kids, but I'm out of here. I, I got to go. You know, I'm a level 10 dude, and I need, to, I need to find my level 10 opportunity. What about going to college or pro as a coach? Did you have any desire for that? Absolutely. Uh, I, my whole desire in life, Rock, was to build a championship program and then go on and be a Division I college basketball coach. No different than Gino Ariyama at UConn or Pat Summit at Tennessee. You know, that was my life's dream, and that was really the path I was on. Uh, but what happened is when I started to speak at 25 years old and write books and go out and speak, I'm like, you know, I really enjoy this. I enjoy coaching adults. I didn't know I would. I didn't, and, and so I really had a big decision to make. Do I go to college, start over, meaning start as an assistant, decrease my salary, go through the whole thing, take 10 or 15 years, then become a head coach, or do I become an entrepreneur, a business owner, take my message to the world, and, and, and that's what I felt called to do. Okay. And how about dropping in as, as a motivational person that would speak to uh, some form of an athletic? Tony Robbins works with the Golden State Warriors. Um, yeah. Have you ever considered doing that? When I first left athletic coaching, because I was known for activating, you know, in essence, the prey drive in a person through the whole person theory, uh, certain universities did begin to hire me. Uh, Vanderbilt University hired me to work with their women's basketball team for two years. Uh, Ole Miss University hired me to work with their basketball team. So, so I did come in and do that. The challenge I had was, was I was introducing concepts to those people who were very hardwired a certain way. You know, even I take the coach at Vanderbilt, who I really liked, she, she had a certain toughness about her. And I was introducing a new way. And it was hard to win her over to, if you will use this methodology, you'll win more games. And I just couldn't, I, could, I sold her strength and conditioning coach. I sold some of her assistant coaches, but I couldn't sell her. And she would say, well, they can do that. The strength coach can do that. Or my assistant coaches can do it. And right. I would say, you know, it's not going to work if you don't do it. I mean, you're the head coach. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she didn't buy into that, but Anne also found that, that it wasn't as lucrative as corporate America was for right. me. I enjoyed some of it, but I, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. Yeah. So when you say you, you taught the seven habits to them, give us some examples or give us a, a, a couple of the habits that, that you feel are really important in life. Well, when you think about sports, most coaches focus on one dimension of a person's nature. Okay. The body. So they practice more, they lift more, they work their players harder. This is no different than a, a company that focuses just on sales tactics. And when you don't focus on the whole person, you're, 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 really, uh, you're really not growing the whole person. So this morning in my team meeting, what I'm trying to do is, is activate the drive in my team, not just teach sales tactics. So we talked about the alignment of core value. We talked about the six levels of commitment. We talk about things to get them inspired, right? And as a coach, I understood that for every four hours of physical training, we also needed an hour of mental training. We needed an hour of emotional training. We needed an hour, you know, we couldn't go into deep spiritual training, obviously at a public high school, but that didn't mean that we couldn't go into confidence training. So I, I implemented leadership boot camps, success academies, life after basketball programs, 
Uh, and I would, you know, every Thursday we had Dr. Phil Thursday, you know, because Dr. Phil used to do this thing for kids and my kids loved it. We, we, we would break down concepts for kids. And so I would teach these habits. When you came in, every player learned each habit, you know, be proactive, begin with the end in mind, think first things first, you know, seek first to understand. And I would embed these into the fabric of our program. Now, this is very unusual for a 14 to 18 year old to learn these habits especially at such a high level. And so what I was really doing was using life, uh, using sport to teach life. And the, and the better I talked and connected to the players, the more games we won and the more they loved playing with me. So, and, and playing for me. So when you think about it, there's no difference here um, in a company is you can build a greatness factory within your corporation. You can grow the whole person with your people, right? You don't have to just teach sales skills. That's what really separates me from a lot of sales trainers out there in the world is I have a deep understanding of how to activate all four parts of a person's nature. So when you work with people today that are adults that maybe are coming with some, some, you know, baggage, some experiences, some preconceived beliefs and notions or, you know, perceptions, what do you find are some of the biggest things you have to, to maybe dismantle before you can install some new behaviors and habits? Well, what I believe is that the reason everybody needs a coach in their life is because we can't see the picture when we're inside the frame. You know, I, I've been going back and, and talking to Marshall Goldsmith specifically about his book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Mm -hmm. And we're discussing doing an event together later this year. And, you know, as I'm rereading that book, you know, it's really for successful people who, who are limiting their own ability to go to the next level because of these bad habits that they have the excessive need to be right, the, uh, you know, the, 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 when you say, but no, or however, every time people ask you the, I mean, there's all these things adding too much value. There's all these habits that he saw that successful executives were doing that were actually prohibiting them from going to another level. And it has re uh, reminded me why we all need a coach in our life to, to see the blind spots. So a lot of the people that I coach are trying to get to a higher frequency. They may or may not know what that frequency is, Many times they have missing structures that they don't even know they have that could be either at the personal level or the organizational level. And what I try to do is, is create a structure that brings clarity to those structures. So I believe a coach is a person that engages a person in a set of systematic behaviors that allows them to do something tomorrow they cannot do today. I don't personally believe based on my coaching background that coaching is asking a person what they think they should be doing. I believe that, that they don't know what they should be doing. And if they did, they would, they would need to coach, right? So to me, what I do is I have a different style of coaching, which is engaging you in a set of behaviors. I bring a structure to you. That structure will expose the weakness. Through that structure, you'll come to your own realizations. You'll say, oh, I need to be doing this, or I'm not doing this, or I need to be doing this. And that's a lot has to do with my background of athletic coaching. We didn't walk in and ask the players what they wanted to do that day. We brought the structure to them and they perform within that structure. Now I know there's different philosophies on what coaching is, but to me, this coach has a structure. They're bringing that structure to you. They're engaging you in a set of behaviors that allows you to do something tomorrow you can't do today. I love it. I think it's great. A lot of certainty. So let's shift gears here for a second. We are currently, and this will be released not immediately, but we are currently in the middle of this pandemic. We have, all kinds of fear running rampant. We have things shutting down. You know, what do you lean on in your inner conversation in order to keep leading your team, keep 
your household positive and safe? Uh, what are some of the things that you rely on in times like this? You know, I think in life, doubt comes in when we have a double vision. And what I mean by that is we've got a vision of going, producing, manifesting, imagination, applied imagination. Okay, that's one vision. The, the other vision is I can't insecure, external threat, it won't work. And really to do something big, you got to kind of starve that doubt. And you starve the doubt by eliminating that second vision. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this, Rock, so I'm glad you asked me. My mindset has always been to play offense versus defense. And that goes all the way back to that, that single mother teaching me. My mother would not let me miss a day of school for 12 years. She taught me we dress up, we show up, we grow up, we deliver. We don't whine, to use a John Wooden theme, we don't whine, we don't complain, and we don't make excuses. Like that's, that was so deeply psychologically and environmentally scripted into me that when I am in periods of uncertainty, no matter what that is, whether it be the current virus or an external threat, my standard MO is to expand. My standard MO is to attack. My standard MO is to push out, not, not contract and retreat. Because the number one thing I see people do when they get scared for any reason is to contract Okay, and, and what I'm trying to coach people on is although our economy can take a hit, let's look at the other side of this. There will be many companies during this period that will prosper more than ever. Trucking companies will prosper because they're transporting things. Hospitals will, will be flooded because of this. Toilet paper companies will make more money than they've ever made. I mean, so when you look at it, I came up with 10 things that I was going to do in my company during this period. And guess what? There were 10 things I should have already been doing, Rock. And, and it's just, it's interesting because of this stimulus, right? Because I'm a Covey disciple. Everything was between stimulus and response as a space. And in that space lies your ability to choose your response. And so I'm trying to, to teach my team every day that during these periods of uncertainty, we have to push and exert and expand. So I'm doing more webinars. I'm doing a, a, a live webinar today with one of the, one of the, a doctor, a, one of, a famous doctor in the country. That's my personal doctor about what we can do to protect our health and our wealth. So I'm, I'm exerting more force. I'm planning more events for the fall. We're, promotion, we're promoting harder than we've ever promoted. So there's all kinds of things people can be doing during this period if they would just not think in terms of contraction. Yeah, I, I love it. And you're, you've been conditioned like that and therefore you experience growth. How important is it for people who want to live a fulfilled life yeah. to have this plan for progress? You know, I go back to the whole person. If you follow me around for a day, you would see how I feed the whole person. I start every day off with a sermon, uh, watching a, a sermon every morning to get my spiritual peace in. I then go to the gym. I have a full-time trainer uh, that I hired on my staff, meaning he's not a part-time person at the gym. He work, uh, He's on my payroll that works me out every morning, very aggressively for an hour to hour and 15 minutes. I then watch something on business for the mind. I then come in and meet with my team. And if you, if you follow me every day, I'm feeding all four parts of my nature. Then I make an appropriate time for my wife, my seven-year-old daughter, you know. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to, to, to actualize. I'm trying to take this potential I've been given and exert the energy to actually do it. So it's very important to me when it comes to fulfillment to, to be able to, to pursue. And some people can't pursue their dreams because they're not healthy enough. Some people can't pursue their dreams because they don't have the right knowledge. Some don't have the right skill. Some don't have the right desire. Some don't have the right confidence. So when you start working on all four parts of your nature, to me, you're operating what I just call a high frequency. And when you're at a high frequency, it's very attractive to the market. 
You're not one dimensional. You're multidimensional. You're in demand. People want to be a part of what you're doing, right? It's just like your movement, right? People want to be part of something that's dynamic. They don't want to be part of something that's static or entropic. So that's kind of my mindset on fulfillment is get up and pursue, right? I think we're happiest when we are in pursuit of something. And, and I think we're unhappy when we feel stuck or static in our lives. I think we're hardwired to take dominion, to pursue, to move. I do not think we're hardwired to, to stay. And that's my concern with locking everybody up in their houses is, um, you know, because they're stuck. They're static, right? I actually believe work is the distribution channel for talent. So when you take away work from people, right, then, then I know in my lives when I've gotten the most trouble is when I was bored. <laughs> yeah. When I wasn't involved, right? When I was isolated yeah. from people. So, so uh, you know, that, that's, only, that's a concern to me. Yeah, 100%. So you've written 16 books? Yes. Uh, choose one or two of them and tell us a little bit about them. Which ones you think maybe some of our listeners might want to grab? You know, my life's philosophy, when I was 25 years old, I wrote a little book called Changing Lives Through Coaching. Now, we don't even sell that book today, Rock, because it's not very good. Okay? <laughs> and I tell people, sometimes your first book is going to suck, which is why I had to write 16. Um, I, but, but here's the interesting part is 15 years later, I came back and wrote Everybody Needs a Coach in Life, which is really my seminal work, right? Like that's what I was saying at 25. I just didn't have enough experience yet to say it. So, so fast forward 10 or 15 years and I write Everybody Needs a Coach in Life. And it is my philosophy on activating the whole potential. It's my version of the seven habits. It's, 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 it's my life's experiences of coaching people. So I tell people that book can become your coach, you know, because it shows you every structure I coach people on my philosophy on the whole person, how, you know, and so I think that's a book that, that I think I would recommend for people. And then my new book is called single digit millionaire. And it's really uh, the subtitle is from high school, high school basketball coach to millionaire. And it's kind of a play on words. People ask, well, why would you only want to be a single-digit millionaire? And, and the point is you can't be a double-digit millionaire until you first become a single-digit millionaire. And it's really not about the money as much as it is about the transition from, from you being a level 10 person, maybe stuck in a level two opportunity or level four opportunity. And I was a high school basketball coach. No matter how many hours I worked, rock, no matter how many games I won, I never made more than $60,000 a year. And when you're only making $60,000 a year, you don't have any excess cash. When you don't have any excess cash, you can't buy real estate, you can't invest, you can't grow your future. So I found a vehicle that I could literally earn millions of dollars in. I could take my excess cash and I could put it into things I love, intentionally congruent. Real estate properties that I own that we do retreats at. Real estate properties that my wife can be involved in. So the book is about transition and how do you go from here to here and how do you build something where you have some enough money that you can then go and reinvest uh, in something that you love, right? So that's, that's, that's the newest book I have out, Single Digit Millionaire. I love it. So you and I share that in common is assisting people to get out of the rat race and help them see that passive income vehicles are an opportunity for them to have time freedom and to really do the things that matter. And it could be the work they're doing or it might give them time to work on themselves and heal some of the childhood wounds, or it might be to do a, a great cause or something like that. What, what do you think with the current educational system is the reason that so many people, and today is a great example as we are in this pandemic, is I, you know, my, my net worth may get affected in the coming months. 
but my cash flow isn't a concern because I've built my life in a way that I could do without income for, for probably three or four years right. and do totally fine. Um, but most people can barely go a paycheck without experiencing substantial stress and the government's going to come and help them out and all that sort of thing. But why do you think we keep on with, with Google having all the information out there, there doesn't seem to be that much of a move movement on the needle as to people really finding that, that freedom. What do you think is the culprit there? Well, I think, you know, when I was a high school coach, you know, I was teaching all of these things and I went up to the, the, the economics department one day and I said, Hey, what are you teaching these kids about money? right? Like, like they need to know something about money. And they said, well, we teach them how to balance a checkbook. And I said, well, they're not going to have anything to balance if they don't know how to produce money, right? Like I'm having conversations with my seven-year-old daughter about where are you going to produce money from? She said, well, I'm going to do chores. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to exchange work for money, right? Like where she wants to buy a horse. And I'm like, well, let's go online and see how much it costs to have a horse. Oh, this horse is expensive. Where are we going to find the money for that? Right. And it's like, oh, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And it's interesting because my daughter is out of school right now. You know, they've shut all the schools down. And so my daughter planned her schedule. She wrote up her schedule. She's going to get up at this time. She's going to do her homeschool this time. She's going to do chores. Now, what's interesting is she put three recesses in her schedule. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, sweetheart, do you have three recesses at school? She said, well, no, daddy, but you know, I mean, I need to work and then I need to play a little bit. Then I need to work and then I need to play. And I'm like, look, I got to teach you about money. And that's really the problem. See, I didn't have anybody teaching me rock about money. My single mom was a nurse. She didn't, she didn't know how to grow my financial IQ. She didn't know how to tell me about investing. And literally I was 31 years old when I retired from athletic coaching. And I did not know the difference between an asset and a liability. I went down to the bookstore and I bought Robert Kiyosaki's book called grow your financial IQ. Okay. And I, and I went home and I read that book and then I bought cash flow quadrant. And then I began to buy these different books and I began to educate myself on what a profit and loss was, on what asset and liability was, and what a balance sheet was, and on how do we produce money? How do I create assets? How do I create value? And so it's interesting because I'm now doing events with Sharon Lecter and, you know, she co-wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, and, and those are the books I was buying when I was 31 years old. And so to me, that's the missing structure is we have people who are not entrepreneurs teaching kids they don't know how to produce any more money. And, and, and how can you expect them to? They're teachers, they're, they're not teach, they're not, they don't know how to produce any more money, just like I didn't as a basketball coach. Right. So, so that's really the problem. That's one reason I built a kids academy. And uh, so I have a greatness factor for kids. And that's an online academy that we're gonna push really hard during this period because my theory is when moms and dads and kids are locked up with each other for hours, they're gonna be looking for something for them to do, right? And we got this kids academy that has all these lessons in it, grit, bounce back, toughness, confidence. I do talk about money, how to produce money, how to sell, how to lead. Uh, there's certain school systems that are using my kids academy, private schools mainly to teach their kids some of these things, but it's not in the curriculum. And because it's not in the curriculum and you got unqualified people teaching it, it just doesn't get taught. So nature versus nurture. Uh, you grew up in what we would call probably a difficult environment with a single mom. I grew up on a farm with parents that were often absent, working hard, trying to make ends meet, et cetera. And through that, you responded to your environment by becoming resourceful and determined and, and seeking ways to attack and grow. 
But how much of that do you think is nature versus nurture? How much of it, it was a response you were able to cultivate versus a given set point? Yeah, that's a great question. And probably one of the best questions anybody's ever asked me. Um, this is a tough one for me because I do believe some people have something that you can't put in them and you just can't take it out of them. Okay. And, and, you know, I look at my genetic psychological environmental scripting that I had early in my life. My father wasn't involved in my life early. I really didn't feel like it was known by my own father. Uh, but, but I had a grit and a toughness. So would that, you know, would that cause me to go on and write the book person of interest, you know, and I know you're, you, you know, you, you've done work with Tony, Tony Robbins and, how did his mother treat him? Should, you know, and, and my, and his point is, should I go back and should I be mad at my dad or should I go back and thank him? Cause I probably right. wouldn't be the man I am today if he'd have been the dad I needed him to be. So, so I believe in a lot of these things, but, but here's a, here's an alternative point to that. My wife um, did drugs every single day from 21 to 24 years old. She grew up in a Christian family, but they never pushed her. She was not involved in sports. They never talked to her about potential. She was in dead-end jobs, hanging around shady people, doing shady things from 20 to 30 years old. Her company, Verizon, she was selling cell phones. They paid for her to come to one of my workshops, 50 bucks. And she came to a workshop on a book I wrote called This Ain't No Practice Life, which is about seven big decisions I think you got to make to do something big. And, and I watched her in the back corner just take notes like crazy. She's taking notes and she's looking at me, she's taking notes and she came up to me afterward and she's like, you know, can I meet with you? And I joke and say, well, she, she was real pretty. So I said, sure, I, I'm available. <laughs> I'm available right now if you want to meet. And, and, but she said, no, I want to come back two weeks from today and talk about some of these things. So she came back and she said, look, nobody has ever talked to me about these things. Nobody's ever told me I have potential. Nobody's ever shown me decisions I need to make. I've never had a coach in my life. And she really, at that point, it's, it activated the prey drive in her, Rock. And over the next nine or 10 years, obviously, we were going to get married, have a daughter, have a son on the way. And my wife is now writing her own books. She's now highly motivated. She's now getting up at 5.15 in the morning studying successful women. She's now speaking at her own conferences. She's now, so, so to your point, I believe every person has a prey drive inside of them, P-R-E-Y. That prey drive is an instinctual ability to see something and go get it. But, but it has to be activated. And there has to be, there has to be an activation of the drive. There has to be a persistence to that drive. There has to be an intensity to that drive. And if you study every motivational theory in the world, they roughly say the same thing. We move toward things we want. When we're hungry, we move toward food. When we want companionship, we move toward people. Well, what I find is that without a coach, many times people don't know how to activate that drive. If you've never read a self-help book or self-development book, you don't even know that it exists. Like when we know better, we do better. So to your nurture or nature question, that would be my answer. It's for some people, it's like it's in them, right? It's in like, man, they've been successful their whole life or they have a drive their whole life. But for some people, the, the switch has to be flipped much later in life. Well, that's one of the best answers I've had to that question. So thank you. Um, let's layer that in with the whole coaching and activating the prey drive. I have a theory that if you're going to bring the most out in people, you need to oscillate between three elements, support, encouragement, mm -hmm. and challenge. Mm, and you as a coach, I'd be fascinated if you were to think back and reflect on how you tr treated different players. Sometimes there was a player that needed support. Maybe he was having a tough time at home. Maybe he was, he was in trouble. He was having a tough time in his grades. 
and he needed some support. He needed to be told it's okay. You can get some tutoring, whatever. Another chi child maybe is trying really hard, trying really hard, and is getting discouraged and needs some encouragement. You've got this. I believe in you. Yes, you can. Keep at it. And then some of them need to lead or they get complacent and they need to be challenged to step up, to reach to the next level. How do you see those three elements in your coaching career? And would you say that that's an accurate possible, you know, is there anything missing in that frame? No, I believe that is accurate. I, I believe that, you know, the one of the best players that I ever coached had the toughness of her father, but had the emotions of her mother. Her mother was very emotional. Her dad was very tough. So she was in conflict, internal conflict. So I noticed very early when I pushed her hard, she contracted and she would cry and she would break down and she wouldn't perform. And when I, when I had positive affirmation statements to her, like you're the best player I've ever coached, you're going to be a Miss Basketball. I'm going to help you, you know, get to 4,000 points in your career. She would play hard for me. She would run through the wall for me, Rock. And then she went to college and her coach used one tactic only, beat her up, hard on her, push her, cuss her out, yell at her. And, and she wouldn't perform. She literally yes. would not perform. Yes. And, I, and, and he called me one day and said, what is wrong with your player? You know, like she won't play. She played so hard for you. And I said, man, the way you're trying to motivate her will not work. She has these two elements in her. She is tough, but she is emotional. And you need to positively affirm her. So I believe, to your point, for many years, I did not believe in personality profiling. And that was a mistake on my part. And because I, because, you know, I was a high school coach and I motivated people and I used the whole, and it worked. We won games and we won championships. Well, then I started coaching adults. And guess what? I found out they didn't yield to authority quite the same way those kids did. So, so then I started studying these personality. I became certified in the disc and, and, and I went through it and I, and I'm like, Oh, this tells me exactly what will activate the drive in this person. It shows right. me what will demotivate them. We're actually working on a prey drive assessment with Tony Alessandria and, and where it's, it's my phrasing through his framework. So a company can look at how much prey drive a person has, what are motivators or activators of prey drive? What are deactivators of prey drive? So my stance is a good coach will have conversations with you that you may or may not want to have. That doesn't mean they're negative. They will challenge you. They will push you to do some things you may or may not want to do, but a good coach will take you to a place that you didn't even know you wanted to go to. Okay. And which is what you're saying, but there are different tactics and methodologies to get people to produce at a very high frequency. And a good coach understands that one size doesn't fit all when it comes to, to maximizing performance. Yeah. And I was a bit like you, I grew up in a, in an environment with a lot of challenge. So what I did was I challenged everybody and I thought that was the way to coach them. Yep. Until I started to realize, like you did a little bit later, that somebody without my history would not respond in the same way. In yep. fact, I was golfing with a buddy of mine who knew that sometimes I respond better when I'm told I can't do it yep. than all the, oh, you're good. Oh, you're the, you're the best rock. You're going to be really good. That will actually demotivate me because I was used to so much adversity and I, in, I became wired to overcome adversity. When the odds were against me, I found a part of me that stepped up. We were playing yeah. partners in golf. I was in a sand trap in a bad, impossible shot. And my partner walks up to me in front of the competition and he says, 
you'll never make that up and down. There's no way. Zero in locked focus, boom, make the putt. And the other guys are going, how come you just beat your partner up? He goes, because I know how he's wired. Yeah. So, so for all the people that are coaches out there, something to think about that, um, you know, that coach Bert really kind of laid out really well for you. All right, let's go to a couple of rapid fire questions. You can have a dinner with anybody dead or alive. Uh, I mean, that's my mentor, Stephen Covey. All right, cool. Uh, other than his series of books, who else has stood out for you as a great author? Man, there's so many good ones. Like I'm reading, I'm, I'm going back and rereading a, a book called The Encyclopedia of Wealth right now, which compiles all of the greatest books about, you know, wealth, think and grow rich as a man thinketh, uh, the science of getting rich by Wallace Waddles. Like I'm going back and rereading nice. that. Again. The classics. It's just, yeah, it's just the class, like the, like the basics. Like that's what that one yeah. people need to understand right now is get back to the basics of doing what we got to do every day. Speaking of basics, what's one thing that you do in the evening? Everybody talks about morning rituals. What's an evening ritual that you have? I've got two. I wind down by watching The West Wing, which was a, one of my favorite shows for 10 or 15 years. And I always map out my, my day, my next day at the end of every day on what I need to do to be in an offensive posture. Excellent. And if people want to get hold of you, get in touch with you, follow you, how do they do that, Coach Burt? They can go to CoachBurt.com. You know, I'm on Instagram, Coach Michael Burt. My mother did spell my name differently than most Michaels. She spelled it M-I-C-H-E-A-L. And I don't think she knew at 16, back in 76, that websites were going to, you know, had to buy, I was going to have to buy Coach Michael <laughs> Burt every way you can imagine when she spelled my name that way. But uh, it is spelled E-A-L versus A-E. Okay, that's amazing. And for, you know, our audience is listening a lot to how to transform their identity, how to go from what they were labeled and in, in the programming they got to a higher, best version of themselves. And what would be some, you know, final comments that you would have for people that are going through that process? One of the greatest activators of prey drive and transition, in my opinion, is exposure exposure to bigger thinkers, exposure to people operating at a high frequency. And that's really been my whole life is when I was exposed to something that I didn't know when I saw something, you know, at 18, I was exposed to Covey, right? At, at, at 25, I was exposed to this, it, right? At certain ages, I was exposed to something like, oh, th- th- there's a whole world out there. Like growing up, I didn't get to go to big cities. I didn't I didn't see New York City. I didn't see Phoenix, Arizona. I didn't see Miami, Florida. I didn't see Chicago. I didn't see LA. So when I started going to those places, I was like, oh my goodness, there's, there's so much possibility here. And so now I have a condo in Nashville, Tennessee on the 38th floor for that reason, because it overlooks the city and the energy. That's exposure. So I took my daughter down there and I said, I want you to see. She just sat there in the window and looked out at the whole lights. She's like, daddy, this is awesome. Right. And, and she's getting exposed to it at seven versus 27. So so that's the point people need is they need to place themselves in positions and in environments where they can get exposed to bigger think. I love it. And I want to remind the listeners that there was a really good point that you made about the two visions that we have, the vision for possibility and the vision of doubt and fear and worry. And we need to starve that second vision. We need to feed the other one. So I encourage all of you to heed Coach Burt's wise words and remember that words create your world. So choose them wisely. Have a great inner narrative as you go forward. And I'd like to thank you so much for joining us. 
So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to be Rock's private VIP mastermind guest. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.